principal principle that drives the world today. I mean, what really influences the people's minds and behaviors the most in today's world? Of course, there are many principles in the world that influence people to think and behave the ways they do. Yet I believe there's one principle that most heavily influences every single person in the whole world, and especially we who are living in America. That is materialism. This materialism influences us most heavily, I believe. What is materialism? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary offers two definitions of materialism. First, a doctrine. It's a doctrine that the only or the highest value lies in material well-being and in the furtherance of material progress. Or it defines it differently like this, a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. So according to this definition, materialism is a doctrine that begins with one's beliefs. The people in the world, whether they know it or not, are living, in, living their lives according to their belief that stuff is all there is. So their happiness is determined by how much stuff they accumulate or how they look in their appearances. I once heard a young people's joke on money, which cracked me up quite a bit. It's a simple but very profound joke. If, you doesn't, uh, if money doesn't make you happy, usually people say you're not spending your money rightly, but they say if, you money, if doesn't, money doesn't make you happy, then you probably don't have enough money. It's a funny joke, but it also reveals how young people perceive material well-being. The world thinks that a lot of money equals happiness and joy, and a lack of money equals unhappiness and misery. The older generation can't actually throw stones at the young generation. Why? Who raised them up the way they are? The parents who have pursued the American dream all their lives have taught their children that the accumulation of wealth is the only way they can be happy. Or the, the way they look better is the way they make themselves happy. But this morning, are we here to examine how bad the world in terms of materialism and the American dream? No. We are here to examine our hearts concerning money and material things. As the people who have lived in the United States of America, you don't probably fathom how wealthy you are. And as an outsider who was born and raised in a foreign country, after I got here, I quickly learned that one of the biggest problems of American people and American Christianity is affluence. And sometimes we call it affluenza, right? It makes, makes us sick. Money makes us sick. We here, I am not excluding myself, we have to have everything we think we need. And even when we have them, we still want more. And when we can't get the things we think we need, we so easily become fretful. So our problem is this. Influenced by the materialistic culture, we constantly worry about money 
and the future. So we are the richest Christians in the whole world. But ironically enough, we are the ones who are most worried about our finances and our retirement. What's wrong with us? The problem is not that we lack resources. Do you know how many clothes the average American buys per year? Can you guess how many clothes you buy as an average American? One thing I'm sure is not, not I'm, I'm not American and I'm not American. It's 68. According to the online firm Rent the Runway, in 2018, a person living in America bought 68 garments. The average U.S. household spends about $3,500 per year on eating out. Just eating out, you spend about $3,500 per year. And you spend another about $3,000 per year on entertainment cost. So you spend about $7,000 on eating out and entertainment, if you're an Amer average American. In 2021, Americans spent $2.2 billion on fireworks. And that shocked me, actually, when I first came to America. Everybody buys fireworks for, for the Independence Day, and why do you buy them? You're wasting your money. And you spent $3 billion on Halloween candy alone. If you, if you consider the entire amount of money that you've spent for Halloween is $10 billion per year. Please, don't tell me our problem is a lack of money. The problem is our believing heart. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Problem is not our unbelieving heart. Actually, it's not just an American problem. It is a problem of all humanity. Worries about money, worries about the future are the characteristics of all fallen humanity. And knowing this problem as so well, the Lord Jesus teaches us why we should not worry about money and the future in today's text. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Or you can translate this way. Can you add a single hour to his span of life? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his kids' glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. So here's the thesis of today's message. We must prioritize God's kingdom and righteousness above worldly riches. We have to put first the kingdom of God and righteousness above worldly riches. Here's the first point of today's message. We must be loyal to the one and only God instead of 
wealth. We have to be loyal to God instead of our material possessions. God is very interested in our attitude towards money. Is it because he cares about money? No. Letter A. He cares about our attitude towards money because it reflects our attitude towards God himself. So right before today's text, the Lord already said, already said that the way we store our money will reflect where our hearts are. So Matthew 12, 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our master said that no one can serve two masters at the same time. Matthew 6, 24. The truth that we can't serve God and money makes us consider whether we are loyal to God or money in our daily life. The no one on earth is free from the love of money. Ever since the fall, every human heart has been tainted with sin, and our nature, our natural and sinful heart is burning with greed. That's what we are in our hearts. What happens when you pour gasoline to a burning fire? It explodes and destroys everything nearby. Just like that, when our heart that is burning with greed meets with wealth, it can destroy our lives and souls. Why does the love of money lead us to destruction? It is because it makes us disloyal to God. That's Matthew 6, 24 again. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. The love of money makes us submit ourselves to money as its slaves. When that happens, our time, energy, and passion will be directed to money instead of God. Jesus knew that the amount of loyalty is we have is limited. So having two masters doesn't expand our hearts to love both masters in the fullest way in the same way. When we begin to serve God and money at the same time, our devotion to God will inevitably decrease. It's like this. I have a one wife. What if I have two wives? Will I have two amounts of love for both of them equally same way? No. I have only limited amount of loyalty and love I can give to my wife. That's why I have one wife, and one wife is more than enough. Because two wives, three wives, four wives will not make expand my heart to love a woman in the exactly same way. So such a half-hearted devotion is not devotion at all in God's sight. That's the reason why Paul identifies covetousness with idolatry in Colossians. Let us see. Covetousness is idolatry, Colossians 3.5. And idolaters will face destruction. When our, our heart goes out to money, we begin to worship and serve money rather than God. So what happened to the Israelites when they were trying to worship God and pagan gods at the same time? God destroyed them. The same thing can happen to any one of us. So let's go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, Brother Tinker read it today for us. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, Paul says, For those who, about those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Paul says some in the first century churches, but I would say many. So many people are piercing their souls because of love of money in today's churches. Most Christians take sexual sins very seriously. I'm not saying that uh, Christians will never commit sexual sins, but at least we know, right? Sexual sins are not good. We should avoid them as much as possible. Unfortunately, however, many Christians do not take the sin of covetousness or greed seriously. But the Bible treats both sins very seriously on the same level. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 5 says, In God's sight, being greedy is as bad as committing a sexual sin. So let me read the verse, Ephesians 5, 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, greedy, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, a kingdom of Christ and God. The love of money is one of the characteristics of those who will face eternal separation from God. Those who serve money now will receive comfort and pleasure for a moment. But we know that those comfort and pleasure will soon turn into suffering and misery. Unlike money, God will provide eternal comfort and joy. Remember, we cannot serve two masters. We can only serve one master. Who is the master of your life? God or money? I'm certain your master is God. That's why you're sitting here today. But we, but, but we have to leave it out. Let's live our life really like we have one master. Not my, our money, but our God. So we are not only to be loyal to God instead of money, but we are also to trust God instead of money. So letter, uh, point number two, we must treat a trust the faithful God instead of wealth. We have to trust the faithful God instead of wealth. When it comes to our concerns of money, what's at stake is the matter of our belief. The reason you constantly worry about money is not because you have a sensitive personality. And I've, I'm, I've been told, I'm sensitive, so that's why I'm worried. No. The reason why you're worried about your money, your future, your retirement is because you lack faith. In God, you don't trust God, but you rather trust your money. That's the issue. So letter A, worries about money is a fruit of unbelief. People like us who live in a rich and developed country might have some difficulty in understanding the true sense of Jesus' teaching in today's text. What should we not worry about according to verse 25? Coming back to Matthew 6, Verse 25, the Lord says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. We should not think that Jesus is commanding us not to worry about our investments or retired retirement money for future. Jesus is speaking to people who don't have food to eat today and don't have clothes to wear tonight. That's the audience of Jesus' teaching here. To these people, Jesus is saying that they should not worry about food, drink, or clothes. In fact, the majority of Jesus' audience were poor farmers and fishermen who thought that they were lucky if they had two decent meals a day. Most of them had only one outer garment. So if they had two, Jesus said, why don't you share one of them with the people who don't have one? That was their state of finance. 
I'm sure you have watched documentaries about poor people who suffer from a lack of food, drink, and clothes. What's amazing about Jesus' teaching today is that he's speaking to those poor people that they don't need to worry about anything about their lives, their food, drink, or clothing if their God is the God of heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching today. This concept goes against our cultural norms, isn't it? We think that it is natural and perfectly okay to worry about food, drink, or clothes when we lack them, right? We think that's natural. But Jesus says that's not natural. Such worries are foolish, according to our Master and Lord. So why should we not worry even when we lack the things that are necessary for our survival? Let it be. There are two reasons that we should not be worried about light necessities like food, drink, or clothing. Because, first, God cares for our life and body. He cares for our life and body. Verse six, chapter 6, verse 25, he said, Do not worry about these things. Why? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Question for you. Who gave us a body and life? God. Which is more valuable than our life or food? Of course, our life is much more important than food. And which is more valuable, our body or our clothes? Again, our body is much more important than clothes. So this is Jesus' logic here. He, said, he says as if like this. If God gave us a life that is more valuable than food and a body that is more precious than clothes, don't you think that he will also provide you food and clothes for your life? And body. So that's his logic here. In other words, God cares for your life and body more than you care about them. Then how much does God care for our life and our bodies? Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your, he your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do birds ever worry about food? No. Do wild plants ever work hard to array themselves? No. Yet God faithfully feeds them and clothes them. If he so faithfully cares for them that are less valuable than us, Jesus says, how much more will he care for us who are created in his own image? God has already given us the very life of his own son, and this God keeps us as the apple of his eye. So how foolish we become when we doubt God's never-ending care for us. So that's why the Lord is rebuking us like this. Oh, you of little faith. So our problem is not a lack of resources. Our problem is our lack of faith. Our problem is not a poor situation. Our problem is that we doubt God's ability to see us through our poverty. Our problem is not that, we, uh, that our needs are not met. But our problem is that we want more than what we need. 
Our minds are so deeply immersed in capitalism that we act like it is a good thing to accumulate as much as we can. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, that we must be content if we have what? Food and clothing. The fact that we should be content when we have food and clothing does not mean that we should never work for further than eating and clothing. Why? Proverbs 21, 20 says there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, which means wise people save things for future, but a foolish man squanders it. So there's nothing wrong with saving and investing for your future. That's not my point today. Yet the problem begins when we think and act like our savings and retirement funds will make our future safe. That's the problem. That's unbelief. As if the money that we are accumulating will save us, will protect us. That's a sheer unbelief according to Jesus' words. Such an attitude is only for those who don't believe in God and worship false gods. That's why he said in verse 32, For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Why then worries about life's necessities was a lifestyle of pagans or Gentiles. It is because they worshipped false gods who were incompetent. Those gods couldn't exist until their worshippers carved them out of wood or stone. They didn't have eyes to see, ears to hear, hands to provide, and food, a feet to move. Instead of people depending on them, these false gods had to depend on the people. So the people had to be self-sufficient. There was no guarantee that their gods would provide for their needs. Even worse, pagans had to provide for their gods by offering their food, animals, and even their own children in some cases. However, our God is different from these false gods. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence and controls it with absolute sovereignty. And how can we worry like the pagans when we believe that our God is the Most High who owns every cattle on the thousand hills and the wealth of the entire universe? There's another reason we should not be worried about our needs. Let, uh, point number two, God already knows what we need. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. He says, do not worry about these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So how have you lived your lives as parents? All parents, listen to me, please. I'm sure you have done your best to provide for your family and especially for your children. You might not be the owner of Tesla or Amazon, but I'm sure that you have enough wealth to meet the needs of your children because I'm sure you've worked hard to do that. But let's imagine. One morning, your son wakes up with a worried face. And so he asks, what's wrong? And he asks, asks, Mom, is there enough food for me to eat for today? And your daughter comes home from school weeping and crying. Again, you ask, what's wrong? And she says, Dad, I'm so worried because I need some items for the art class tomorrow. But do we have enough money to buy those items? What would you feel about their attitude toward your ability to meet their needs? I believe it will hurt you 
so deeply. Why? Because your children don't believe in your ability to provide for their needs. Have you considered that the fact that we do exactly the same thing to our Heavenly Father when we begin to worry about our tomorrow? God is better father than human fathers. Matthew 7, 9, 3, 11. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus is saying this, Joe, your father was a sinner. You have an evil heart, but you know how to feed, for, feed your children, how to provide for your children. Then, Jesus says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. He's better father, much better father than we are earthly fathers. So many Christians worry about money as if their worries would solve their problems. But does worry solve anything? It does nothing but bring us to spiritual depression. It doesn't matter how anxious we are, our anxiety cannot add even a single hour to our life. Do you want to stop worrying about future? then you're first, you first need to understand why you become so easily anxious and worried. The fundamental, the fundamental reason we constantly worry is not because our lives are so miserable. Whether we become anxious or not depends on the way we view God. Your view of God, that's what matters. Read the Bible and study church history. There have been hosts of Christians who were in much worse situations than we are today. It seems like they had every reason to be worried and anxious about their tomorrow. But they didn't. How could they not? It is because they viewed God as the Almighty who loves to meet His children's needs. Let me say it again. The real problem is not our situation. The real issue is whether we trust in our loving and providing Father in heaven. When we truly view God as He is, as He truly is, we will stop worrying about needs and start worrying about something much more important than our survival. What is that something that is much more important than our lives? Point number three, we must pursue God's rule and righteousness instead of wealth. We must pursue God's rule and righteousness instead of wealth. What should we be worried about instead of worrying about money? Letter A, God's will for us is we, that we first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have to remember the truth that our survival is not the greatest importance. Let me say it again. Our survival or our prosperity is not the greatest importance in your life. As we live our lives, at times we live in prosperity, and at other times we suffer from poverty. Yet regardless of our life situations, there is a truth that never changes. That the truth, that, that truth is this, that God is actively and sovereignly ruling the entire universe. What we need to be worried about is not whether we eat or drink. That's something our Heavenly Father takes care of for us. What we need to be anxious about is whether we submit every aspect of our lives to the sovereign of the universe. The Lord Jesus emphasizes that we must first seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. 
the adverb first makes crystal clear that the top priority of our lives should be certain way. The, the, the world first, first seeks wealth, I'm sorry, the world first seeks wealth, comfort, and stable future. But we must first seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Seeking God's kingdom means recognizing and acknowledging God's rule in every aspect of our lives. It means you acknowledge God's rule when you look up your phone, when you look up, open your laptop and start working, when you go to school, when you eat or drink, whatever you do, you just acknowledge that every aspect of my life need to be submitted to the active ruling of God. So in one sense, in one sense, we are waiting for God's kingdom to come on earth. That's what we are waiting you know, at, the, at the return of Christ. Yet in another sense, we are already living in God's kingdom as his subjects. How do I say that? Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, uh, the son of his, dear, his love. God has already translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, and in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you have experienced the forgiveness of sins, you are in a sense already living in God's rule and his, the realm of his rule, which is his kingdom. How can we then submit every aspect of our lives to God's rule? By seeking his righteousness. Here, the righteousness Jesus is dealing with is not the righteousness we receive when we believe Jesus for our justification. This may confuse you a little bit because we have a tendency as a reform, uh, like a product of reform, reformation. Whenever we see the word righteousness, we want to think about the righteousness Christ accomplished for us at the cross. I'm not denying that aspect, but the righteousness Jesus is talking about here is not that kind of righteousness. Rather, he is talking about the righteousness that that comes out as the fruit of our salvation in believers' lives as we follow Christ. Jesus already said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you think a sinner can genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, that's impossible. When Jesus speaks of the blessing of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's not talking about the unbelievers who need to save themselves by working out righteousness. But he's talking about the believers who are already saved and who have received the promise of the new covenant. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, Ezekiel is giving us the promise of the new covenant. Here he says, verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will clean you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is the promise of the new covenant. One of the promises of the new covenant is that we will receive a new heart and new spirit along with the spirit of God who dwells us. And the result of God's spirit living in us is that we will actually walk in God's statutes and keep his commandments. Which means 
doing righteousness. The truth, this truth shows that the righteousness we are dealing with in this text is the righteous deeds we do as we walk in the Holy Spirit. So here, seeking God's righteousness means obeying His commandments by relying on the enabling Holy Spirit who lives in our heart. Am I trying to promote works righteousness or works salvation? No. I am not trying to say that we must seek our own righteousness. That's not what the Lord Jesus is saying in the text. The Lord Jesus commands us to seek whose righteousness? God's righteousness. It means that we must do what the Father does as his dear children. And this kind of righteous life is only possible when we are enabled by the Spirit of God. So I'm not trying to say that we must produce righteousness on our own to merit our salvation. But I'm, I'm trying to say that we must do what our righteous father does as his dear children by depending on the Spirit of God. Is it clear now? So notice the reciprocal relationship between seeking God's kingdom and seeking his righteousness. The more we seek God's rule in our lives, the more we will seek to do God's will in what we think, say, and do. And the more we seek God's righteousness, the more we will seek to submit ourselves under the rule of God. So we must first seek God's kingdom and his righteousness before seeking to meet our own needs. That's what Jesus' logic here. Influenced by Matthew 6.33, Paul describes the relationship between God's kingdom and righteousness in Romans 14, 17, and 18. Let's go there. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Romans 14, 17, and 18, Paul talks about what it means to seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Romans 14, 17, and 18, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Why do you think Paul says kingdom of God is not eating and drinking? He must have known the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat, right? Don't worry about what you drink. That's what Paul is saying. The kingdom of God is eating or drinking. But what is this? What is kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in who? In the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we seek righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are seeking God's kingdom in our lives. Verse 18, For he who serves Christ is in these things is acceptable to God and approved by man. We have a fear again because we don't believe in works righteousness. Sometimes, you know, you try to do good things so that you please God. Don't ever attempt to do it. Yes, that's true for unbelievers. That's true for unbelievers. Unbelievers, you have to say, hey, don't try to earn righteousness. That's true, but Two believers, Paul said, you have to live your life by seeking the kingdom and seeking righteousness, seeking peace, and seeking joy in the Holy Spirit to please God. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what Jesus is saying in today's text. Paul's words in this passage make me certain that every Christian can and must seek God's kingdom and righteousness right now on earth and live them out right now on earth. Seeking God's rule in every aspect of our lives by living out a righteous lifestyle must be our top priority. 
That must be the purpose of our working, studying, exercising, shopping, entertaining, eating, drinking, sleeping, and breathing. Why do you breathe? To seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. As you listen to this sermon, you might be thinking like this. I know, Pastor Joe, I need to seek God's kingdom and righteousness. But the rest of the world is striving to get ahead of me. Will I not get behind if I seek God's kingdom and righteousness while my competitors seek their own advance? Satan can whisper into your ear like that. Just in case you're wondering like that, let's come back to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 33, the Lord Jesus completes the verse like this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, God will faithfully provide for those who first seek his kingdom and righteousness. He will meet every need of your life if you continue to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And Lily and I, for us, this verse is really dear. I still vividly remember it was the weekend before our wedding day. And it was a church on Sunday after dinner, after lunch. In Korean church, you have to eat every week. So we ate lunch, and then I took her aside. You know, when nobody is in the auditorium, I took her aside. Hey, Sister Lily, come over. And I opened the Bible, and I went to room, Matthew 6.33, and I read it to her this. But seek, seek first the kingdom of God is righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. And I looked into your eyes and said, you know, we are, I'm becoming a pastor or a church planner or a missionary or a murderer. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, we will seek God's kingdom and righteousness first. And we're not going to be worried about the needs that we have. Because that's the way of life for Christians. And that's the way of life for ministers of the gospel. So I still remember that moment, which is really precious to me. So do you truly believe that God owns and controls everything in the world? Then just believe Jesus' words and do not worry about your future. What we need to be worried about is not our future. God is firmly holding our tomorrow. What we need to be worried about is whether we are doing our best to seek his rule and righteousness today, right now. I want to give you two caveats as I'm ending the sermon. First, today's message is different from prosperity gospel. We should never try to manipulate God to give us what we need or want. You know, when people hear, you know, if you do these things, everything will be added to you, then they try to manipulate God. Okay, God, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that. Okay, you have to do this, then you're obligated to me to do this. That's the prosperity gospel. But those who seek God's kingdom and righteousness in a true way will never try to negotiate with God. They will even give the result to his hand. If he doesn't feed me, I die tonight. That's fine. As long as I seek God's kingdom, his righteousness, my life can be taken because that's the top priority of my life. That's the attitude we must have as we seek God's kingdom, his righteousness. And today's message does not promise or promote laziness. There are many Christians who think they will receive a good result despite their poor performance at school, work, or business because they come to church or serve others faithfully. Spending extra hours to serve God and others should never be an excuse for poor performance. 
A person who forsakes God's rule in his life and his righteousness will, be, will never be slacking off at school or work. So that's not what I'm trying to promote here. But we have to diligently put God first, put his kingdom first, put his righteousness first, then God will take care of the rest. Our problem is this, again, influenced by the materialistic culture, we constantly worry about money and the future. But we must put God's kingdom and righteousness first above worldly riches. When we do that, it will help us not to give room to worries and anxieties for material needs. Do not worry about money. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you so much for your precious message out of the precious mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm, I don't want to underestimate the pain and suffering of the people who are suffering from poverty in this world. Yet also, I cannot underestimate your power, your promise, your love, and your caring heart for your dear people. So Lord, we pray, have mercy on us. We are so geared toward the worries of life. Many of us, Lord, are on the path to destruction because we love money more than we love you. And young children growing up in our church, I know some of them will be destroyed by the love of money, by the love of their appearances. They care more, more about what they look, how they look in the world than how you look at them. Please, Lord, rebuke their hearts. Turn their paths. Help them to repent. <laughs> to put their trust in you and you alone. <laughs> and all, even older people, they are destroying their lives because they care more about their retirement than you, Lord. They care more about their future than your kingdom and your righteousness. Precious Father, please open our eyes. We would see the reality that we will see, look beyond the reality of this world. The material things will be gone soon. But your kingdom and your righteousness will last forever. So please help us to put our trust in those things. Gracious Father, please help me and our Pastor Matt that we would not be hirelings. There are many temptations in our hearts that we care more about our well-being than our flocks. That we care more about our future than the church, the future of the church. So, Lord, we pray, please help us to humble ourselves before you and help us to be worried and anxious for the kingdom of God and righteousness, not our future and our needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are all dismissed.